Now, let me ask you a question. I always like to, to have a little bit of buyback from you. How many of you um, feel like you're not good with directions? How many of you feel like the person that you are married to or the person you came with today are not good with directions? How many of you feel that way but are afraid to say anything? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Listen, I am horrible with directions. I always have been. I, you know, I used to get lost in my own neighborhood when Eric and I would go for walks around the block. I'd start turning down the street and she'd say, where are you going? I'd say, I'm going home. And she's like, we live on the next street. Uh, true story. But a couple, you know, I love to shop at Kohl's. Anybody else like Kohl's? Uh, I like Kohl's. I like the discounts and deals. I always shop the bargain racks to see what kind of deals I can get. So I never pay full price for anything, right? I'm from Indiana. So I was on my way back from Kohl's one night after Erica made me return a bunch of stuff. And I was talking to her on the phone. And I was just, because we just talk all the time. She's my best friend. And we were, I was driving and she said, well, where are you? And I said, I'm about 10 minutes from home. And we were just chatting away. But I get confused when I drive. I get brain fog, right? And I always get messed up at the interchange of I-4, 92, and US-95. You know this sign? Did it, did it show up? I always get lost. I should not turn here. I live in Daytona Beach. But there are three options, even though none of them are right, that make me think I should turn here. And so I'm talking to my wife and I'm driving and I'm just like, oh, I, where, which exit is it again? Oh, and I told her I was starting to turn off on exit 260. And she's like, no, because she doesn't get lost anywhere. She's Daniel Boone. I mean, she could get put her in the middle of the woods and she'd find her way home. She's like, Shane, get back on the highway. Get back on the highway. Get back. I says, too late. And she said, I'll see you in 40 minutes. And she hung up the phone because once you get on I-4, you're on I-4, right? You know, I'm often reminded in times like that of little baby Yoda from the Mandalorian who said, my ancestors navigated with the oceans using stars and I'm over here missing exits with GPS. (laughs) True story. Sometimes we know where we're going because we know the journey and the path that we've taken. Sometimes we know how we got to a place even if we took the wrong turn because we know where the wrong turn was and we know what got us to where we are. Other times, it's more like this. There was a turtle crossing the road and he was mugged by two snails. When the police showed up and asked him what happened, he said, I don't know, it just all happened so fast. We call those dad jokes. Sometimes we don't know how we got to where we are. We look at where our situation is and we're like, how did I ever get here? But friends, in this study on the life of Moses that we are going to be engaging in for the next several months, the story of who he is and the mission that God called him to won't make sense to you unless you know how we got here. If you remember, there's, if you uh, ever just want to follow along the genealogy of, of the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, we'd start out the, the promise to Abraham, you go through. There was a guy by the name of Jacob, and Jacob had a bunch of sons, right? And um, he said uh, that his favorite son was his 11th son, Joseph, and Joseph 
uh, gets sold into slavery by his 10 older brothers. Uh, he's a slave for 13 years. Um, but eventually there's going to be a watershed moment here, right? Uh, the, the book of Exodus that we are going to be studying is one of the most important books in the Jewish sacred text. It is one of the great watershed moments in the history of Israel. And it's going to serve two peop- purposes as we go through the life of Moses and his encounters. It's going to remind us that God is going to save Israel and free them from their slavery. But it's also going to be the bedrock foundation for the most important story that God is going to tell through the life of Jesus. And he's going to use the Exodus to do it. And that is that God wants to save humanity because he cares about you. Your life matters. He knows who you are intimately. And his desire is to pull you away from the dangers and the, ch- the challenges and an eternity separated from him because you're his child. And who you are matters. And what you think matters. And your struggles matter. But Joseph is going to find himself before Pharaoh after 13 years as a slave and as a prisoner. A man who had given up on his dreams. A man who thought that God had forgotten him. A man who felt like the suffering was never going to end. Have you ever been there? In a season where it just seems like God is absent, that his voice doesn't resonate in your life, that your prayers are going unanswered. A season of walking through the desert. desert. Have you been there before? And out of nowhere, in the midst of being forsaken in a prison, after being wrongly accused of a sin he did not commit, after he had done the right thing, Pharaoh has a dream. No one can understand this recurring dream that Pharaoh's had, not the wise men, not his counselors, not the false, uh, the, the priest of the false gods. But somebody remembered that Joseph had wisdom and that he could interpret dreams by the power of God. And so Joseph goes from the chains of a prison to standing before the throne of a Pharaoh And God gives him wisdom enough to interpret a dream. And that dream will remove the shackles of his life and propel him to the second seat in one of the most powerful empires of his time. And God is going to use those challenges and those 13 years of suffering to take care of the Hebrew people for generations. They went from shepherds to now one of the sons of Jacob sitting on the second seat of Egypt. We read this in, um, in Genesis or in Exodus chapter one, verse six and seven, it says this in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died ending the entire generation, but their descendants, the Israelites had many children and grandchildren. In fact, They multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. So God is blessing them in this land that God has led them to through trial and suffering and challenges because he was setting them up to have be able to feed their family. And by the way, Joseph, through his wisdom, ended up probably saving hundreds of thousands of lives, right? 
We know that Joseph's family eventually is reunited with him. He forgives his brothers. He gets to see his dad. They settle in the land of Goshen. And Joseph and his family are going to live peacefully for 79 more years in the land of Egypt. If you do your math from what the Bible tells us. But then we read this. Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. Or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. A king comes along who doesn't know who Joseph is. He doesn't know the story. He doesn't know what Joseph had done for his nation and his people and his lineage. And he, all he knows is there are a group of people who are really growing population wise, who look different from him, who worship a different God than he does. And he doesn't like them. He wants to find a way to reduce to reduce the danger that they pose to he and his kingdom and his throne. Verse 10, we read that he says, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. He is afraid of them, but he also doesn't want to lose them. He's afraid of their power, but he also sees potential for economic advancement by using them as builders. And so he devises a plan to control the population. He says, we're going to work them to death. In verse 11, we read, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. Notice the the kind of picture that, that the author here is painting for us. It is one of brutality, of hopelessness, of destruction, of families being obliterated economically, physically. And they hope that they're going to squash out the root that's of the Jewish people, of the Hebrew people. They forced them to build cities in Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for kings. These Hebrews who had been shepherds are now moved into the workforce and they are building buildings and building cities. How does that happen? How does it go that these people are related to the second highest person in the Egyptian kingdom, the empire, and then all of a sudden they are removed that they're forgotten and these people who were held in high esteem even though they're shepherds which is on the bottom structure but you know joseph was their ancestor how do they go from being in that place to being slaves very slowly and very deliberately that's how slavery usually happens all over the world you take away freedoms you take away uh the initiative you begin to to use groupthink but then verses 12 and through 14 said, but, more Egyptian, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread and more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the works in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Are, can you imagine a people who held the promise of God, who had grown up on stories of God's faithfulness, were now dealing with something that must have been soul-crushing for a people who had dreams of their future and who dreamed dreams of their children's and their children's future. It must have felt like a deep, terrifying darkness that had come all around them. Friends, every time they saw a rainbow, they remembered the promise that God had made to them through Noah. Every time they were able to 
to celebrate a circumcision, they were reminded of the covenant or the promise that God had made with them that he would be their God and they would be their people. Yet where is God in the midst of their suffering? Where is God in the midst of their agony? Where is God in the midst of their depression? Where is God in the midst of their misery? And they must have wondered, are we forgotten? You ever forgotten anything? Anybody in here forget anything? Anybody forget that you forgot something? Anybody uh, ever forget where you put your keys? Anybody ever forget where you put your glasses only to realize they're on top of your head? Anybody ever come to church and forget where you parked your car? Anybody ever come to church and you remember that you forgot to pick up your kids from kids' church and you didn't remember until you got to lunch? And then you decided to finish your lunch before you went back and got them. We forget things. The question is, is does God forget? Does God forget his promises? Does God forget our sufferings? Does God forget our hopes and our dreams? Does God forget us when we are, when we feel isolated, when we feel alone, when we feel defeated? Has God forgotten me? Those are questions we usually ask in our lonely moments, in our helpless situations. Those are questions that we ask when we are dealing with deep pain and encompassing loneliness. It's when you've wandered in the desert or lived in a world without light. Where is God? When you have cried so long that the tears won't come anymore and all you feel is numbness. When your voice is hoarse from crying out to the God of the universe and all that he responds with is resounding silence. Deafening silence. When we are in those seasons, we can't see how our puzzle piece fits into this. How our story of our suffering goes into the greater picture in the context of what God wants to do for our life. We don't understand. How much longer, Lord? How much longer do I have to suffer? How much longer do I have to deal with loneliness? How much longer do I have to deal with these aches and pains? How much longer do I have to listen to the complaints of my neighbor or my spouse or my children? Or they won't listen to my complaints. How much longer, God? How much longer do I have to be in this place of loneliness and isolation in the desert of forgetfulness? How much longer, Lord? Do you believe that God has forgotten you? Do you believe that God has forgotten you? If that's where you are today, I want you to know that you are not forgotten. Turn to the person next to you and say, God knows your name. Now turn back that person and say, he may, but I don't know your name. Isaiah 49 says this, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And God responds, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved 
you on the palms of my hands. God has not forgotten you. God is not done with you. Your suffering will know an end. The seasons will change. And although they felt alone, they felt isolated, they felt deserted, God was not slumbering. He wasn't taking a nap. He wasn't sitting on the john, which was a great line that is asked when Elijah's on Mount Carmel. He asked of the prophets of Baal, maybe your God went to use the bathroom. I don't know. It's in the Hebrew. Check it out. God is not slumbering. When my dad and grandpa and I went to Israel for the first time in 1997, we had a Jewish guy that looked like, his name was Egal, but he looked like Peter Sellers from the Pink Panther. My grandpa and he just did not see eye to eye. But he did tell us this one story. We get to the Jordan River and he says, you know, we Jews have a tradition that when our people came out of the wilderness and were getting ready to cross over the Jordan, that God had sent beavers upstream. So the moment that we carried the Ark of the Covenant into the, the river, the waters went dry because God was working upstream and going before us. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but the principle is, is sound. In your life, where you are, God has not forgotten you. And he is working in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of lives. And he is going to bring you and lead you out of the season that you're in. And he is going to use you to do great things because of your suffering and through your suffering. Because God has not forgotten you. He is alive and he's well. And he was putting his plan in place while the people were crying out. And his plan had a name. And that name was Moses, Operation Moses. Hebrews didn't know that at the time. In fact, (laughs) they never would have believed the story God was writing unless they had lived through it. I mean, this story is so amazing that how does God, how does something like this come together but by God, right? I wondered if they were experiencing their suffering and their challenges and their loneliness and their harsh treatment if they remembered the prophecy that God had given to their forefather Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 when God was telling him he's like hey God listen I don't have any any descendants I don't have anybody take over and and become uh, my heir you know everything that you've given to me is going to go to a servant of mine and God says look up at the stars come out of your tent look up at the stars you see the stars I am going to give you descendants that are as numerous as these stars in the sky and Abraham's like okay great but I'm getting old. And if you're going to do it, you better hurry. Because I got my clock is ticking, Lord. And God said, don't be afraid because I'm going to do this great thing through you. I'm going to keep the promise I made to you when you responded to my call. But then he tells him. We read this. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land and they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Anybody want that for their children? But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. 
You see, you think that your suffering has no value, but God is bringing through you and in you a richness that you can't even begin to fathom. He tells them a deliverer will come. A hero will emerge out of the wilderness. A man who is uniquely equipped to deal with both the Hebrew people as well as the Egyptian Pharaoh. He is the only man in the history of the world who could do that. Impossible, but God. Because God cares about you. He cares about your mess and your heartache. He cares about your worries and your concerns. He cares about your challenges and your loneliness. He loves you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God loves you. Turn back to that person and say, God loves you. Now, if you're single and looking to find a life mate and you happen to sit down with somebody you're attractive to, then you can thank me later. He loves you. God loves you. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the what? Brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Have you ever been crushed in spirit? Friends, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. Uh, Verses 15 and 16 of Exodus chapter 1 say, Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. I'm sure I said those names right. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Can you imagine the horror? How precious is a life? How precious is a child's life? More importantly, how precious is your child's life? Can you imagine that the the mourning that would have taken place in the land of Egypt and Goshen as these little baby boys were put to death? As you watched your child that you had mothers carried for nine months. Because Lord knows men are not strong enough to handle pregnancy. We just couldn't do it. You women are superstars. We can barely find things in the refrigerator. Can you imagine... Your child being put to death. Can you think of another time where the mothers of baby boys would cry out to God in great grief when another king put their boys to death? This is a multi layered story that you are going to see the reverberations, the echoes ring through the story of Moses and the story of Jesus. Verse 17 says, but because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. Why would these women under pain of death disobey the Pharaoh of the land and save these babies? Because they feared God. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. I love it when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, friends, it doesn't matter what anyone tells you. It doesn't matter what anyone tries to push down your throat. You need to do the right thing. You need to follow God regardless of the, of the challenges and the repercussions. It doesn't matter what any threat of any person is because God is greater. So don't look at the things that are present 
now, look at the things that you can't see. The things that you can't see eternal, the things that you see right now are temporary. And she, these ladies recognized, take my life if you want, but I am not, I am not going to give in and do what I know that God has called me not to do. Life is precious. All life is precious. And if we say that we're pro-life church, friends, we're not just pro-life for the unborn. We are pro-life for every person. And if you are not living that way, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, as an 80s rapper once said. Treat others with kindness and respect and dignity. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are make lots of money and marry. No? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us have heart things that we need to deal with in here today. I don't know what you're afraid of this morning. I imagine that many in this room face fear on a daily basis. We know that this society loves fear, right? Fear of violence, of rising crime, of inflation, of COVID. We're worried about our children and our marriages and our retirements and our bank accounts and our health and our being alone. But one of the greatest antidotes that I have found to fear is trust. Yes, I agree. The number one verse, I've taught my, my six-year-old, my four-year-old, my two-year-old, and I haven't really started working with my four-month-old yet because he can't talk, but I have them memorize verses every night. And I used to have them, like I had like six or seven verses they knew, but I've gone to just having them say the same verse every night. It was my great-grandma Hargrave's favorite verse, and it has become my life verse. And it's a verse that we need to put deeply within our hearts. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your and lean not on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, when I don't know what's going on, when I don't understand my future, when I'm afraid that I can't take care of my family or pay my mortgage or one of my kids is sick or, you know, I can't believe that my wife would keep me um, because I'm so crazy. When I'm afraid of the future, of retirement, of Wondering, am I going to lose a child or lose my spouse? Or am I going to deal with some debilitating health issue? Or who's going to win the next presidential election? Or is Indiana Hoosiers ever going to win another national championship? When I care about these deep things, trusting means not knowing, the out, not knowing the, how the present is going to come out, but knowing the outcome is going in the end that I am going to be with God. My family is going to be with God because Jesus died to save me. So when you feel afraid, learn to trust. You know, I don't know how many of you have kids. Raise your hands. How many of you don't have kids but feel like you've been parenting your spouse? Okay, so as a dad, I can tell you I have four kids. They're all different. All personalities are different. But Gracie, 
who is four, is a really interesting kid. She has no fear. You know, she's the one who was climbing in our RV and she got to the top. I said, Gracie, get down. You're going to fall and hurt yourself. And she said, Dad, I hear what you're saying, but my heart tells me to climb. She's the one that, you know, I walked into the room the other day and she had climbed up on the refrigerator into the shelves and she and her two-year-old brother were throwing things into the freezer that they had opened so they could get food that they wanted. Although I'm not sure how they were going to cook the eggs. She has no fear as long as she's in control. But there's nothing more terrifying to Gracie than being out of control. All, my oldest, Gabby and Zeke, who's two, love for me to throw them high into the air and catch them. It terrifies Gracie because Gracie has no control when she's flying through the air. The other night she was sleeping on the couch and I went and I picked her up. And as soon as I picked her up, she felt the loss of control. And she began to panic and began to squirm. And I just held her and I said, Gracie, it's okay. Daddy's got you. And immediately she felt peace and she relaxed because she knew that she was in the arms of her daddy. Friends, when you're afraid, listen for the voice of your father because that's where you're going to find peace. 18 through 21 says, so the king of Egypt called the midwives. We, what, uh, why have you done this? He demanded. We have allowed the boys to live or why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we can't get there in time. So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Friends, God honors courage in the face of adversity. God honors you trusting him in the face of your trials. So just do the right thing. Do the right thing. And you know what that is because God has put it in your heart. There's a story of a guy by the name of Martin Niemöller who was a Protestant pastor uh, pre-World War II in Germany. And after the destruction of Germany in World War I, they were uh, wiped out as a nation. Their national pride was in the dumpster. Uh, they had lost money and reparations. It was a, it was a horrible time to live there. Uh, he was very nationalistic and loved his country. He had fought in World War I. He became a pastor. Uh, he just wanted, uh, he loved his country, but more importantly, loved his God, and he wanted both to thrive and do well. And so when this new up-and-coming politician started talking about national unity and national pride, uh, he got on board with this guy named Hitler in the Nazi party. And he was supportive of them until he discovered that they were not what they were saying, but they were what they were doing, and what they were doing was... Uh, taking away personal liberties, taking away uh, the voice of the church. Um, they wanted to control what was being taught. And so he spoke out against Hitler. And Hitler responded by putting the Nazi secret police on him and taking him eventually into a concentration camp in 1938. He would spend seven years in concentration camps, and um, including Dachau, which is one of the worst, right? 1945, he was freed by U.S. troops, and he ha began to have a national stage. He spoke all over the world about this need to, to get hate out of our lives and to put love where, where it needs to be. 
I think that's a message all of us could hear today, right? But one of the things that he said that has stuck with me throughout the years is he would say at different rallies, first they came for the socialist and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. Two greatest commandments are what? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It would be amazing what would happen in this country and around the world if we would learn to love instead of learn to fear. If we would turn to love instead of learn to hate. It would be amazing what we could do if we would continue to to do kind things for people at Walmart and Publix and uh, church and the supermarket. Um, I remember one time I preached a sermon on love and on the, I heard that week that there was a truck we were, that was trying to pull out of a, the driveway and somebody pulled out in front of him in the church parking lot. He honked his horn and flipped him off. Way to go. Listen to that message. Love God. Love people. How would life change if we truly began living like Jesus wants us to? One of my favorite stories found in Daniel chapter 3. This is how I'll end. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. High officials living away from their homeland, serving in a government that was run by pagan kings. King builds a huge statue to himself and says, everybody must bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no way. I will only bow down to the God of heaven and earth. And so the king says, bow down to me, my statue. I'm going to throw you into this fiery furnace. They, and, and, and this is amazing. Daniel chapter three, how they respond. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. God has the ability to save us, but even if he does it, I know where my, my end destination lies. I know that regardless of my fear, regardless of my worries, that God is still with me. I know that I am not forgotten. I know that I have a purpose, and I know that God has created me for such a time as this. And so, friends, today, if you catch nothing else from this message, know that you matter to the Lord, that he has a purpose for you, that you are not alone, that he will never leave you or forsake you because he loves you, he created created you and he wants to call you by your name and wants to spend an eternity with him. The only question is, is do you want to spend an eternity with God? Because it's your choice. God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves to hell by not accepting Jesus. What will your decision be today? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your love, your grace. I thank you for this food that we are about to partake in in just a few minutes. Uh, Lord, help us to, to truly live out your commandment of loving others. Uh, help us to get rid of our prejudices and our hatred. Lord, help us to learn to love and uh, help us to treat people with kindness. God, in our seasons of struggle, remind us that you love us. In our seasons of plenty, remind us that there are other people who need to know that you love them. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>